Science Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to both owners and enthusiasts. Remember with each topic we discuss that your horse is an individual. So please make sure you're getting professional advice before implementing any strategies. This week, Nancy and I are looking at a study that is a prospective cohort study on the acute chronic workload ratio in relation to injuries in high-level eventing horses. This is a comprehensive three-year study that was carried out by CBM Monsters et al. And in this study, essentially, they had looked at human sports science and they know that this acute chronic ratio is called ACWR is used to monitor an athlete's preparedness for competition and also to assess what is their risk of becoming injured. So the aim of this study was to investigate the that to horses and in, protect, in particular to elite eventing horses. So 58 international eventing horses were chosen. They were eligible for the study and they were in um, levels of CCI2 to CCI5. So that is Concours Complete International and that is a competition rating for and um, particularly for eventing and that's given by the international governing body for the sport. So it kind of lays out at what point in their sporting career they're at, depending on the level. And it was a really interesting study. One thing that stood out to me that Nancy and I have discussed before is they refer to the percentage of wastage that happens in horses. So when horses do end up getting injured, that ability to perform they found in lower level event horses that wastage was ranging from about 28%. But in the higher level elite event horses, 45% of the horses were wasted because of injury. And we kind of compare that to racehorses. What did you say the number was in racing, Nancy? It was 53% in um racehorses so that's pretty comparable i mean you're only talking about eight percent difference like they looked at the speeds as well because they evaluated you know if um high speeds and sprinting speeds had an impact on the injury occurrence and in eventing they you know the horses don't even canter at as high a speed as you would imagine they would and they don't get anywhere near the speeds that racehorses meet so for that injury level to be at 45% wastage and, you know, racehorses are in the 50s, low 50s, it's just, it is quite eye-opening to see that correlate. And I think it shows that it's not so much the speed that is creating the injuries, but it's the duration of the exercise. And when you deviate from your um, fitness plan. So I think recovery time is imperative that you don't overwork the horse um, too soon between sessions. And then the other thing is, is to not increase 
that speed, that duration, that frequency. Remember back in, during the biomechanic episode we did, we talked about increasing one of those by 5%, but not all of them. So it's so important to take time, especially when you're coming off of a layoff. You've got to really make sure you don't overstress that um, horse. This study was carried out over three years. So that was a total of 94 individual competition seasons that were monitored. And um, so that's a like a really vast amount of training, competition, workload management that they're looking at in these 58 horses. And they did find that when injury was occurring was actually the week after. So in week one, if the um, workload ratio was in excess, then it's actually in week two that we're going to see the horse show that injury. And I thought it was just really interesting that they said, you know, having no proper workload management plan or having one that's um, too high for the horses is what's causing these problems. So there were lots of horses that they evaluated at these elite levels um, and even at the lower levels, but they're still competing on that scale that were completely unfit to be competing. Yeah, and, and I think I see that in racing too, where we always say you have to give a horse 120 days of training before you can even consider putting them in a race. And this is whether it's a $3,000 claiming race or a higher um, value race. And it's because the higher intensity the exercise is, the more you'll get maybe injuries in the suspensory ligament or that apparatus. And then also, um, if you've been in training just two months, there's a higher chance of an in increased risk of fatal or catastrophic injury when you increase speed and distance, um, both of them, um, and the horse isn't ready to take yeah. that on. I always think about this too. I don't know if we've mentioned it on any of the other episodes, but you know the um, term, I think I've mentioned it maybe before when we've talked about mucking out stables, but the term farmer strength, it's kind of like this um, thing that's taking over more in fitness industry circles where we're looking at the fact that we don't need to work ourselves to exhaustion or to depletion in order to be able to build muscle strength and muscle memory because they looked at these farmers that were like really strong because they're throwing hay bales all day, every day. But none of these farmers are working themselves to a point where their whole bodies are aching because then they're not fit to work the next day. And applying this to people is really useful. Like, you know, you don't need to be lifting insane weights and you don't need to do it within a 30 minute period. You know, give yourself more time, do it slowly, do less weights but do more reps. And I think when we apply that then to horses, that's kind of what clicked with me with this research was saying, you know, look at the workload that we're actually applying because what we're asking them to do and the training plan we're coming up with, we need to consider that any given day of the week, they may respond to it differently. You know, you can have a set training workload that um, 
rotates week on week. So it just changes slightly each week, but it's quite a similar process in building up muscle. And if that horse is, you know, a little bit more dehydrated one day, a little bit more fatigued, a little bit more stressed, it's going to respond completely differently to that amount of work. And it may not actually be capable of that amount of work, even though it did it, you know, last week or even the days before. So that acute and chronic workload ratio really is just calculating a rate of change in your training program. And uh, the more you increase that rate of change, the more you increase that injury risk. And in this paper, it's saying that increase can be as much as three to six times. That's incredible. Yeah, it's a lot of stress on a horse that isn't prepared to take it on. Now, external factors were was that speed and distance and frequency, but internal factors were actually like heart rate and more the bodily, uh, the respirations. And there's a saying on the racetrack that when you bring a horse in from a workout, you'll say he's blowing like a freight train. Well, <laughs> that kind of tells you that he got something out of the work, but if his recovery time to return to a somewhat less amount of respirations, that tells you the fitness level. And then also there's muscles along the spine. And another saying is you could roll a bowling ball down their back. Well, that means they've really corded up that um, it's wide, those muscles tightened up where you could roll a bowling ball. But what you really want to see for fitness is to be able to roll a tennis ball down that groove. And then you know you're approaching good fitness level in a horse. Now, you don't want to be overfit either because then they're kind of wound like a rubber band too tight. So it's, it is a lot of experience and just intuition but now this paper saying now we've got the technology let's implement some of the technology and use it to better the welfare of our equine athletes and this is the thing like there's obviously calculations and maths behind this and some like some areas of mathematics are absolutely my forte Unfortunately, ratios never were. <laughs> but if you have a head for maths, for science, for data, um, it's just there's so many areas within the equine industry where we could develop apps and develop, um, you know, support systems that help advance what we're doing at an owner level and like not have to rely on getting to a point where we've got you know, elite trainers giving us this information and helping us work this out. And I just think it's so interesting because it said that this um, chronic work ratio can be used to monitor training programs of eventing horses and help determine whether the horses are well prepared for physical demands of competition. And surely there's someone out there that can use this and make an app that people can input their horses information input like you know on my fitness pal you put in whether you're sedentary or not and it works out your calories mm -hmm. like something like that that will give you a plan 
Um, and maybe it's out there already. I'm going to have a search for it after the podcast. But if it's not, it, it would be a massive moneymaker. So it's not my forte. So it's not something I'm going to dive into. But if someone out there has the capabilities, I just think it would be so useful. And, you know, even on the racetrack, oh, my God, for hundreds of years, we've had where in North America, the tracks have 16 poles around them and such as like the black poles or 16th poles and then your green poles or your eighth poles and then your red poles or your quarter poles and you'll just have um, those mark a mile out so trainers know when to hit their stopwatch when they're working a horse because they'll tell the rider will take off at the three-eighths pole and then you'll they'll be able to you know know when to hit the stopwatch well we could use we use that too when galloping them we'll count 10 seconds between poles but you know i know there's got to be a gps system we could put on with the heart rate and and use it and track via a computer the training as well because then you're getting real-time data on the horse's respirations and heart rate. You're not just guessing all the time. And it is like, that's the thing with horses that you love and you hate at the same time is it's such a balancing act. Like there's never one answer. And then you've got horses and you've got ponies and they're going to behave completely differently as well. So it is, I think when it comes to all this, there is so much that you just have to see with your individual horse, what's going to work, but having the information more readily available and having ways like that, that you can measure out what you're doing is just a really useful step. Yeah. There, there's got to be a Peloton for horses, right? <laughs> I know. <That's laughs> so, we should say that to Tom Brodal from Hudson yeah. Aquatic. Yeah. They should make a Peloton for horses. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Okay. Well, that's all I had on this. It was really a great paper. Interesting. Um, all the numbers and um, how they came up with the ratios and all that. So, um, you know, it's, it's good information. And I think the best thing is don't go too fast, too quick with your horses, when, especially when they're uh, looking at competing in these events as spring is coming up and people are getting ready for those events. Hopefully with COVID, we'll be able to have more this year. Fingers crossed. Yep. Yep. So um, I did have one point of business, Kate. Your dog is kind of a bigger star for the podcast (laughs) than than what horses or we are even. So um, the I got some emails saying, you know, whose dog was it? What's the dog's name? And what's the story with the dog? So last week, and I can't remember, I have two dogs. I can't remember which one decided they wanted to collaborate on the podcast, but (laughs) one of them barked uh, last week. And for those asking, I have Millie, who is an eight-year-old Bichon, and she has lived with my family while I've you know, I I did the typical thing you do when you're younger. I got a dog and then I went to college and then I moved country. And the whole time she's my dog, but my mom and my dad <laughs> um, has her. So now that I'm back in Ireland full time, 
Millie has moved in with me. And then my other dog is a rescue called Willow. And they're like little and large. Willow's like a 20 kilo, just black wavy haired dog. They think she maybe has some schnauzer in her, but she's dreaming at the moment and twitching over there. <laughs> but um, yeah, they're absolutely brilliant dogs. I would say Millie has lived a life of being absolutely spoiled um, so we're trying to incorporate more doggy, um, activities into her life now. <laughs> and both of them are just, yeah, I think I've mentioned before training has been something that I've become a lot more interested in and behavior because both of them are reactive. So really super friendly dogs. Willow's afraid of her own shadow. So if she hears a bang, um, and we're in an apartment block, then sometimes she'll have a little howl. So it could have been her. Um, and then if Millie thinks someone's coming to visit, she gets really excited and she barks. So again, if a door shuts, Millie's like, someone's coming to say hi to me <laughs> and will bark as well. So I'm not sure which one of them set it off, but I will put a picture of them on the Instagram page for all those people that were really interested to know their names, which is lovely. And that that would be awesome. I'd like to see them too. And then my second um housekeeping point was to say congratulations to Kate Fenner, who is now Dr. Kate Fenner. She got her PhD uh, last week from the University of Sydney Veterinary School. So that's quite an accomplishment. We've had Kate on the podcast before, and we just want to say a huge shout out. Congratulations. And she's like put an amazing amount of work and effort into that. Like, Nancy, you were saying it was nine years of study. So what an achievement to have done that. Yep. And I think she started getting an equine science bachelor's and worked her way up because um, she wanted to, to contribute to behavior and welfare articles. And uh, she's the one that um, used eBark as her PhD project. So um, anyway, um, if you're interested, have a listen to the Kate Finner interview and uh, sign up for eBark and kind of assess your own horse. That would be e-barq.com. E so massive congratulations to Kate. Um, she also has a website, Can Do Equine, K-A-N-D-O-O. -O. And Nancy, you said she does different webinars, is it? Yep, she has a YouTube channel and uh, she does live um, feeds if you're having problems with your horses. So visit CanDo um, Equine and she's got sign up emails and videos and just all kinds of free information to help the welfare of horses. Thanks so much for this week, Nancy, and I'll talk to you again next week. Okay, thanks everyone. Bye-bye. Take care.